This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to Crosswise. It's James here, and today we have a fantastic guest. We're going to be talking about something really, you know, quite interesting. And you might have used this technology without even being aware that you've used it. Yeah, it's it's so widespread. In fact, the website that hosts this podcast, where you potentially looking at our show notes right now, is run using this technology. What am I talking about? Well, we're talking about Linux. Yes, don't, don't switch off yet, folks. This is going to be really interesting. We're going to actually do a bit of a Linux 101, and we have a fantastic guest, Nick from the Linux Experiment. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hello, everyone. I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really good, thank you. Yeah, it's it's. I have to say, it's nice to be back in my own sort of space. I've been visiting family for Christmas, and depending on the order that episodes get released, some people might notice that my setup didn't quite look as good in the, in a couple of episodes I was actually, and I, I don't think I mentioned this to you pre-show, but I was actually recording for two two episodes while I was away for Christmas using a Steam Deck. Oh, really? Yeah, with the with the onboard microphone and everything. No, no, no. no. I took the Vocaster. Uh, no, took okay. Vocaster. <laughs> I would be interested. That's an interesting experiment to see what its onboard mic is like. I can't. Um, yeah. I, well, I never tried it for anything. It has noise cancelling. Yes, it does. Oh. Okay, there you go. That's an experiment for another episode. But Nick, thank you so much for joining us. This this all came about as usual by me watching Nick's content on YouTube and then reaching out via Mastodon. Now, the one thing I'd want to say as well is Mastodon. I know you're a big fan. Is it just me or is Mastodon feel more personal, more much easier to connect with people than Twitter ever did? It absolutely does, and I I don't know if that's by any specific design thing they do because I. I feel like Mastodon is basically exactly like Twitter in terms of how it's designed and how it's presenting things. Uh, or if it's just like the community that's in there and, and which probably likes to talk more, exchange more. But I'm seeing like what, what we call engagement, but basically I'm seeing conversations happen a lot more on Mastodon with a lot less followers than I ever did on Twitter. And people are nicer. They're more open to, to diverging opinions. They're more open to accept that somebody will not come around to their point of view it's it's been a very different experience and i don't really know why that is it's a very good question you know we we have talked about you know we talked about the tech of mastodon we talked with you know james smith who's the admin of mastodon.co.me.uk sorry you know when this whole mastodon thing went huge we talked to him about the you know the, the tech behind it but you know, I'm with you. It's been a much nicer community, and I have to be honest. We, you know, we've kept we've kept the podcast Twitter account, but my account's now private. So the only thing I'm using Twitter for is literally to promote this show. But anyway, speaking of promoting stuff, Nick, before we get into our topic, do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your content, and tell people where we can find it? 
Of course. Uh, so yes, I'm Nick. I'm I'm French, which might explain the, the weird accent. And if I make any mistakes, <laughs> don't be alarmed. It's normal. Uh, <laughs> we French aren't known for our mastery of, uh, of foreign languages. Uh, so I, I make a, uh, I run a Linux channel, which is called uh, the Linux Experiment. It's on YouTube. It's on PeerTube. It's on Odyssey as well. Uh, I've been doing that for five years, and basically I make two to three videos per week where I discuss. Linux as in desktop Linux, not not really server-related stuff. Uh, I am sort of knowledgeable in that stuff, but I think desktop Linux isn't as well covered. And so the goal of the channel is to showcase uh, alternative applications to what you might be used to, good new versions of Linux, the various desktop environments that we have, which are basically how the interface will look like for you. Uh, we have very di many different ones that will give you a different look and feel and a different set of applications. And so I cover everything uh, of that sort. And I also talk about privacy a little bit, sometimes Android or mobile phones, but it's mostly Linux desktop related. Because correct me if I'm wrong, isn't at its core, Android is, is Linux-based. It's a Linux kernel. It's very heavily modified. It's not like the regular Linux kernel you would have on your server or on your Linux computer. It's very, very modified. And some people think it's modified enough that it should not even be called a Linux kernel. But, but yeah, it's, it's the same base, basically. They just add a lot of proprietary modules and drivers on top of it to have, well, phone manufacturers accept to use it. Absolutely. And yeah, I've been watching Nick's content for a little bit now. And certainly, I think the one that the video that I jumped in at, if I, you know, I always like to say how I connected was your video on France banning Microsoft Office. Yeah. And that really struck me because we talked with Tom Lawrence. And again, I don't know if that episode's going to come out before this one probably is. But we talked with Tom Lawrence a little bit about open source for business. And it's one thing that's always frustrated me as a bit of a nerd is someone who did dual boot you know, Fedora Core, back with a Windows XP machine back in the day, is that I couldn't do my schoolwork properly on Fedora because, guess what? The requirement was all Microsoft Office, and it's frustrated me. Yeah, and at the time, Open Office uh, was really bad. Garbage. It, it wasn't even LibreOffice at the time, I guess. It was Open Office, and it must have been like the first versions, like 1.1 or something. It was was really bad. Uh, yeah, it was it was not good for compatibility at all. So I had to keep a dual boot. But you know, and even you know, on a, on that same subject, unfortunately, I think it's still the case that most IT education is focused around the Microsoft ecosystem or the Google ecosystem. Absolutely. You know, my nephew uh, actually on a quick win, my sister, my nephew somehow managed to. Well, we know how he did it. Uh, bashing your laptop on the floor when the fan's making a noise probably isn't going to do a consumer grade HP laptop a lot of good. He's not getting a, he's not getting a new laptop. He's getting he's getting a refurbed laptop. And look, it wasn't really going to be fast enough to run Windows ten at a comfortable speed. I thought, hmm, what does he need? I said to him, what what do you actually do your schoolwork on? He's like, oh, Google Sheets. Teenager, like that's all I got out of him. Like, okay, all right, nephew, fine. And I put Pop OS onto his laptop, onto his laptop, and it works great. And you know what? It, it's a viable alternative. But let's we'll come to that a little bit. But before we dive into sort of a little bit about alternative applications and desktop environments, at its very core, when we say Linux, because you've already mentioned a couple of terms that I want to make sure we clarify for people: desktop environments, 
Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it can be a confusing mess for people who don't follow that space at all. Absolutely. So Linux is the core of the operating system. It is the, the foundation of... Well, yeah, it's, it's a kernel. Can, can you explain a little bit more that, that maybe help people understand what we're talking about here? Of course. So basically, when people talk about Linux, they can refer to many different things depending on the context. At, at its base... When you say Linux, you should mean the Linux kernel, which is like the base of the system. That's the layer that interacts with the hardware, basically, the, the stuff that is able to talk to the hardware and that everything else is built up on. So basically, in the Windows world, the equivalent would be the Windows NT kernel. And on macOS, it's called Darwin. Uh, that That's the same layer, basically. But a lot of people, myself included, also say Linux just to talk about an operating system based on the Linux kernel. So, for example, when I say Linux, I can refer to Ubuntu or Fedora, which you talked about, which are two variants of uh, of, of a Linux-based operating system. Because saying Linux-based operating system every time is extremely cumbersome. So it's been shortened into Linux or Linux distribution, which is the term that encompasses basically every single bit of software that makes up a Linux-based operating system. Got you. And so, as you said, we're talking about things like Ubuntu. Ubuntu probably being one of the one of the best known. And we, you know, we talked about servers. Yeah, that's Ubuntu server. I would say if you're running a DigitalOcean droplet, the chances are you're running Ubuntu server. We we certainly are for our WordPress droplet that we're running. It's 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 everywhere. My my, I, I run a Nextcloud instance. It's running on Ubuntu. I run a an only office uh, document server. It runs on Ubuntu. I run a Castopod instance uh, for a future podcast that I'm planning, and it's also running on Ubuntu. It's just easy. It's simple. There's plenty of documentation. Uh, there, it, you can't go wrong with it. No, it is a very stable server OS. Now I know it's not as popular. It's losing popularity in the desktop space. And we, we can talk about that. But there's then, you know, there's even <laughs> and Crazy Ken from the Computer Clan did a whole video on, and I, I would love to know how this came about, a Linux distribution called Hannah Montana Linux. Yes. <laughs> I want to know how yes, that became That exists. That exists. There, there are so many weird niche distributions. Basically, a distribution is a Linux kernel, so the base that talks to the hardware. On top of that, there's stuff that we call the GNU tools, GNU being like the the, the, the umbrella name of, uh, of uh, the foundation that develops these tools. Those tools take advantage of the kernel and let the user do stuff. So it's basically a, a shell, like you would have a, a DOS back in the day on Windows. Uh, GNU gives you some sort of that kind of experience. And then on top of that, you have a windowing server, so something that can display graphical stuff. Uh, it's either X11 or Wayland. We have the two, Wayland being the newer one, which everybody is slowly moving to because it's more stable, more robust. It works better with multi-monitors, etc. And then you have the desktop environment that runs with that, and that gives you the graphical interface. So if you think about the Windows shell with the taskbar, the start menu, the various applications you get, that's your desktop environment. And Linux has multiple ones of those, uh, some that look and work like Windows, some that are closer to macOS, and some that look or work like nothing else you've ever used. So that's a Linux distribution. 
And, and everyone can, can build their own. Everyone can build their own easily because it's all open source, so the code is widely available. Someone could definitely say, I want HANA Montana Linux and build, well, that's what they did. They built HANA Montana Linux, but you could do SpongeBob SquarePants Linux if you wanted to as well and grab every program you want, every wallpaper, whatever, it could work. Don't don't give people ideas, Nick. Please, please don't give don't give Nickelodeon <laughs> more ideas. I mean, I, I think I, I created a curse or something. You, you may have done. You may have done. But <laughs> but it is a good point because that's one of the beauties about a Linux based operating system is you have that complete flexibility in a certain extent. You know, macOS. Actually, macOS is probably less customizable in terms of its desktop environment than Windows is. Yes, it's it's very rigid. It is. Even Windows 10 has more color theme options than, than macOS does. Look, for some people, that's okay. But as you said, there, there are desktop environments. Now, the ones that I know, that I really know, and actually you have used meant two of them, KDE, which is what the Steam Deck, yeah. I believe KDE, it's KDE Plasma on the Steam Deck. Yes, absolutely. That That's what they use for their desktop mode. And then GNOME is probably the yep. the biggest one. And that, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, that tends to at least base Ubuntu and certainly PopOS are GNOME-based distributions. Most Linux distributions use GNOME as a, as the base, yeah. So Ubuntu, Fedora, PopOS, uh, I think OpenSUSE also uses GNOME by default now. It's, it's the biggest one. Uh, there's no real explanation for why because it's also the most controversial one it's very opinionated in how it works it's not super customizable or extendable uh, compared to kde but it's also way simpler to interact with Uh, kde is known as the the one that has all the options you can turn kde into a full clone of the mac os experience if you want with a global menu on top and a dock and everything or you could make it look like anything else or create your own layout entirely it's very very customizable but it's more complex to interact with than gnome which is a more simpler experience probably it leans more on the side of mac os in terms of look and uh, and feel and uh, correct me if i'm right is it linux mint which is designed to be more of a windows-esque uh, distro yeah Linux Mint uses uh, another desktop environment, which is called Cinnamon, which is based initially on GNOME, but they modified a lot of stuff with it, so it's now it's now its own thing. And so the default layout is very much like Windows. You've got your start menu, well, Windows 10 or 7. You've got your start menu in the bottom left, you've got your notification tray on the bottom right, and you've got your, your icons slash launcher slash taskbar uh, in, uh, in the rest of the taskbar. And that's it. It uses regular menus inside of Windows. The window controls are on the right. They look like Windows window controls. And they even had a redesign in terms of theme, uh, look and feel icons, which put them even closer to Windows very recently. Like they used the same yellow manila folders. Uh, they redesigned their window control icons to be closer to Windows. It, I think it's a very good experience if you're, if you're, if you want to, to test the waters of the Linux desktop, but you're coming from Windows, Mint is probably something that's going to be the closest. Excellent. And, and you, mo- I think in the most part, correct me if I'm wrong, for the majority of Linux distributions, they are free. There are, I think, but I know of a few that are paid, but mostly they are free for you to go and download as a as an ISO image, put onto a USB stick or a, or these old fashioned things called DVDs, you know, 
that, that's that was my my experience burning burning they still the, exist yeah oh yeah i think i well i've got <laughs> i've got a dvd writer <laughs> under um sort of on my shelf down here because well mostly because i'm ripping some dvds at the moment but you know occasionally i need to burn dvds i, I had to burn quite a lot of cds and dvds before my granddad left us because i had to if you wanted maybe a family video there was no easy way for him to play it, so we'd just burn it onto it. Or, or as my granddad lovingly called them, BDVs. No idea where <laughs> that came from. That was his phrase. Anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> if, it, if it works, it works. It does. Uh, so anyway, but you mentioned, you know, people coming over from other platforms. So one of the questions I sort of posed to you in our introductory email is, why would people be looking at an alternative to Windows? What's wrong with Windows? What's wrong with macOS? Where does Linux fit into that picture? I'm not some kind of uh, of extremist on the Linux space. Uh, the the Linux space can be known for some of their very vocal uh, components, <laughs> yes. which will say everything else is trash. If you're not using Linux, you're not an IT professional. You don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm I'm not uh, on that front. I think every OS has its use case. I think Windows has one. I think Mac OS has one. I think the Linux desktop has one. That said, Linux does offer some advantages over macOS or Linux, and it also has some drawbacks compared to the other two. So for me, the main reason to use Linux is to get away from uh, privacy-invasive software. Windows and macOS require you to use an Apple account or a Microsoft account. Uh, on Windows, you can bypass the Microsoft account, but I think it's becoming harder and harder uh, with Windows 11. And basically, there are ads in your operating system. Uh, Microsoft is going to push stuff to you in the start menu or in notifications. And everything you do will be reported. You can't completely disable Windows telemetry, for example. So Microsoft will always know what you do on your system, even if it's a little bit less than what could be if you enable everything. I think that's very invasive. It's an operating system. It's not an application. Uh, I paid for it when I bought my laptop. I should not have to suffer uh, through data collection and advertisements. Apple does not do it all that much, but they do it as well. And uh, and I think it it's very invasive for your operating system to decide that it needs to know stuff about you to 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 offer you applications. So that's one of the main reasons. Uh, the second one is security. Uh, Linux isn't inherently more secure than Windows or macOS. Uh, it's more secure in certain ways and less secure in, in others. But the thing is, it's used by a lot less people on the desktop, so it's way less likely to be targeted by malware, by ransomware, by phishing things. Why would you target like 2% of the world's computer user base when you can write something for Windows and grab 70% or 80%? No one does it. So you don't really need to run an antivirus unless you want to share download files from Windows computers and share them with other Windows users. You don't really need an antivirus, so you're freeing up resources as well on your on your device. And you're, you can basically browse the web knowing that there's very, very little risk uh, to be infected by something. Now, if you run a Linux server, that's something else. Of course, Linux servers are huge. They're like 95% of the server market. And so they need to be protected and looked after. But a Linux desktop, you, you can basically let it run and browse any weird website you want. You're never going to grab anything. So those are two of the main reasons. And then I'd say there's a third one, which is basically if you like tinkering. Uh, Linux is a great system for tinkerers. If you want to try and customize your experience, make it look like you want. If you want to try to experiment with something new, if you have spare hardware you, you can use to do that as well, it's fun. 
if you like that sort of thing, it's fun. And, uh, and it, Linux gives you all those opportunities to, to tinker, to, to work around, to fix your own problems as well. Uh, if, you, if, if you're technologically inclined, if you know how to code, uh, if you find a bug in Windows, you can only report it. If you find a bug in a component of your Linux system, you can actually try and fix it yourself. And in most cases, if, if it's well written and it follows the guidelines of the code that you try to write, it will be accepted. And so your code will be used by a lot of other people around the world, which will benefit from your contribution. So I think it's a great operating system for tinkerers, for people who want to, to share either their knowledge or, or their coding skills. Uh, and that's a great uh, that's a great plus uh, compared to what you can do on macOS or Windows. And there are plenty of other personal reasons, but those are basically the ones that I would cite for why I use Linux. And I, you know, from my experience, I can echo us. Look, you know, I I didn't. I mean, I will not that I don't believe you. I want to just double check on the because I didn't think Apple forced an iCloud account yet. But I might be wrong. I, it's been a while since. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. I, I tend to always enter one, but maybe they don't. Uh, yeah. They definitely encourage it. And yeah, if you, you know what, if you don't need iCloud functionality, then don't, you know, don't use it. I will say, yeah, I do like the fact that macOS isn't quite as, quite as invasive yet. But as you said, we are still collecting data. Whereas a Linux OS, look, you know, I had, and I've said this on the show before, my old 27-inch 2011 iMac once that stopped receiving security updates from Apple. I'm like, okay, well, it's not. I don't have the money yet to to throw this hardware away or to replace it. What am I going to do? Well, it's an Intel-based machine. So I put, at the time, I was in love, you know, sort of doing that whole, you know, I'm in love with Pop! OS thing and put Pop! OS onto anything I could find, um, <laughs> which, you know, which I think it's true, though, once you find... It's it, a very good, it's a very good version of Linux. It's it's very well done. It really is. I, it's actually made by a manufacturer of computers. It's made by System76, which make their own devices. So they have, they're not like, hey, I'm going to make software and let's hope it works. They actually test it. And so this means it's generally a lot more robust uh, than, than other things you can use. Uh, no, it is really nice. We've got some really nice things. One of the things I love in that distribution, and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about some of the, the cool software that can be that can come with Linux. And you can find, because I think that's probably most people's number one question, but will it run the stuff that I... Now, there's a difference here, folks. Will it run the stuff that I need versus will it run the stuff that I'm used to? Two very different questions. Yeah, that that that's generally the gist of, of everything in terms of alternatives is... It is, are you okay with an alternative or do you need the specific software that you currently use? If you need like Photoshop, pure Photoshop, not a Photoshop-like program, but Photoshop. So no, you can't use Linux because it doesn't run on it. If you need pure Microsoft Office, the full Office suite, uh, the full-blown desktop client, and not just any Office suite, then no, you can't run it on, you can't run it on Linux. But if you're okay with an alternative, if you need text writing functionality or if you need image editing functionality then yes there are alternatives but it takes some time to relearn how to do the same thing but on a different program and that can be frustrating if your livelihood depends on it it's not great either because you're going to lose time you're going to lose your archived projects that you won't be able to open anymore it depends uh i personally learned with these alternatives. So it was way easier for me because I started using Linux in 2006 and uh, and I used it basically ever since. 
So I know how to use GIMP instead of Photoshop. The, the name is stupid, but the program is good. Uh, I, I learned how to use LibreOffice instead of Microsoft Office, uh, other email clients than Outlook. And so that's not a problem for me. Actually, it would be a problem for me now to use Photoshop or Microsoft Office because I don't quite remember how they work. Yeah, that makes sense. So just out of interest for your videos, are you a Caden Live or DaVinci person? DaVinci Resolve, yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's the only non-open source program I use to run the channel. Uh, it's it's proprietary, but it's the best you can find on Linux. It's really, really good. And it's great that DaVinci are actually making it because, um, well, Apple certainly aren't putting Final Cut onto anything but macOS, and Adobe have no interest nope. in <laughs> Linux. So... Yeah, they they pull their user base on, on some kind of Q&A forum they have basically every three or four years, and they get like 16,000 votes for, yes, we want Linux, but that's just not enough there. Like they, they, they would have to have like so much more interest for them to justify porting it. Or if one day they manage to port the whole suite to the web, then maybe, yes, sure, they'll give us an Electron version like everyone else. But... As long as it's a desktop-based program, there's no way they're going to port it. And one thing I did want to quickly highlight is people, and we're going to talk a little bit about what scares people about Linux, because it it can be, you know, I've had that reaction when I've said to people, hey, maybe your old laptop can run Linux instead of Windows. It will Now, is it, I'll come to this in a second, but you can use your iCloud. If you are an ex-Apple person or you're, you know, an iPhone user and you have iCloud email well first of all maybe consider switching to fastmail you know go and check out our episode with helen um but you can i iCloud for all its flaws the mail is still imap based it's harder to configure folks but you yes. can do it i actually made a video about how to use most of your apple ecosystem related stuff on linux and there's very little you cannot bring to linux uh, you can still use your iCloud Mail. You can still sync your iCloud contacts. Uh, your iCloud uh, notes can be used on the web with the web portal. Uh, you can sync your calendars as well. They will work. Uh, you have access to your iCloud photos on the web portal as well uh, to locate your iPhone. You can still have AirDrop-like functionality between your phone and your Linux computer thanks to a small program called KDE Connect, which works on every single uh, Linux uh, version. Awesome. I made a video explaining all of that, and basically the only things that would not work at all was... Uh, there was one thing that really didn't work. It escapes me right now, but... Uh, there was just yeah one, one big part of the ecosystem that just didn't work and everything else was available in a reduced version because the, their web versions aren't super feature complete, especially the reminders, uh, which is very bare bones. But the rest worked flawlessly. You, you could even create some small web apps and not really see the difference. Which is, which is really cool that Apple have built the, the web stuff around that. But as you said, it's not quite the same. Absolutely. My biggest frustration with that, and it is... And I think the same is true of OneDrive. I'm not 100% sure. There's no way to connect iCloud as a operating system level folder access in anything other than Windows and yes. and uh, macOS. Yes, you, that, that's one thing. If you want to access your iCloud storage on Linux, for example, you have to use the browser. You cannot connect it as as external network storage uh, with with OneDrive I think there's an application that lets you do that on Linux there's a client that lets you do that unofficial but but still it works if you're okay with using an unofficial client to access your files on OneDrive that's 
always an issue for some people. Uh, but with iCloud, you cannot, yes. And the point, so we're going to talk a little bit now, kind of about maybe what scares people about Linux. Now, before I do that, though, let me, the question I was formulating to ask is, my experience has been most Linux distributions use require a lot less in terms of system resources than, say, the latest version of Windows, which has led me to be an advocate of putting Linux onto older laptops that can't be updated. Because, and I don't know whether or not you'll agree with me on my stance. My my stance on operating systems is as soon as it stops receiving security updates from the original developers, so Microsoft, Apple, you know, whatever, yeah. then it's time to stop using that operating system. I absolutely agree, yes. You, people still running Windows XP nowadays just drive me crazy. I don't understand it. You, you could catch any kind of weird thing just by downloading a program. Stop using those things. They are not supported. No. And the same goes for Linux. Some people run old Linux distributions that have been end of life for six, seven years. They have no security updates. Move to something else, <laughs> please. <laughs> and if and if you can't run the latest Windows version on your laptop, move to Linux or, or move to, to BSD or whatever other system. But don't use Windows XP until your laptop dies. The only caveat, of course, being is ergapped retro systems. If you're if you're intentionally running retro and it's not on the internet, that's probably okay. Yeah, of course. As long as you don't download stuff from another computer to install it then on the computer that doesn't have access to the internet because you're just moving the problem yes. somewhere else. Yes, it's a challenging one, obviously, because we have a lot of retro guests who will run, you know, things like Windows 95 and 98. And I think, you know, but these are people who I would say are, you know, are experienced tech people who know to scan those things for viruses yeah. before down, you know, before they transfer them elsewhere. So just, just a caveat on that, but I agree with you. But my experience, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but Linux tends to run better on lower resources. And in fact, correct me if I remember, our distribution's designed for low-resource machines. There, there are some Linux distributions uh, with a graphical user interface. Granted, it looks pretty old. Uh, it's, it's more Windows 95-like than Windows 11-like, uh, but they will run on 64 megabytes of RAM wow. with, a, with a full graphical uh, user interface, a full kernel, the full Linux drivers, everything. Uh, I, th I think it's called Tiny Core, Tiny Core Linux, which is one of those. Uh, you've got Puppy Linux as well, which is designed for like very low end, very ancient hardware, but still uses the very latest security enabled uh, Linux stuff. Th that's the beauty of Linux. Basically, you can have a, a whole range of systems that can run on something as low as a Raspberry Pi or 20 year old device up all to the way to a giant workstation like the one I have with a 16-core CPU, an RTX 3070, 64 gigs of RAM. It it can do everything, basically, and everything in between. And a lot of people use it only to bring back to life an old computer that isn't supported, uh, and that's a very valid use of Linux. But it can also run on really modern, really recent devices. Absolutely. I know a lot of people do, mate. Yourself, you know, again, uh, Tom Lawrence, I know, does everything on, on Linux, it's great. So what do you think when you when we say the word Linux, and again, in this case, we're talking about Linux 
based operating systems, not the kernel. Again, so that we've got a frame. When I say a Linux based, I want to put a Linux based operating system. And I, I do say Linux. I just say, well, I put Linux on your laptop for you. People get scared. Why do you think people get scared? What have you found in your experience that are those pain, those scare points, as it were? It depends on whether the person uh, is experienced with computers or not. If they are not, they probably either haven't heard of Linux at all. So it's a bit scary because we don't know it. Uh, and and for a lot of people who are not very experienced uh, in, in the computer space, they, they will think that the software and the hardware are indistinguishable. You cannot separate them. Especially people who grew up with smartphones, uh, you, you cannot, they, they just don't think you can replace an operating system. It, your laptop or your desktop came with it, so it means it has to stick with it. And doing anything else is basically hacking or security risk or, or something that only super technical people can do. So there's that, that barrier to entry. It looks scary. It looks complicated. For people who are more experienced, either they used Linux in the past. Uh, if it was in like 10 or 15 years ago, they probably have a very bad first impression of that system. And so they don't want to come back to it. Or it's just confusing because like we discussed already, we spent probably like 10 minutes explaining the various terms. What's a Linux kernel? What's a desktop environment? What's a distribution? When you jump in on that, you cannot just type on Google, download Linux, uh, because we're, you're going to be confronted with thousands of versions and different things. And even Ubuntu will have two or three versions to download for server, for desktop with the LTS version or the most recent version. It's confusing for people. It, it can be difficult because when you want to download the latest version of Windows, you go to download Windows, you type enter, you click, you have your small installation tool and you're done. It's done. There's one version or maybe two or three drop downs to pick like the language or, or the, or the, 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 the edition family, home, whatever. On Linux, you have to choose a provider. You don't really know what the differences are. They're generally not very well explained on the websites. Uh, they, they will present something and just not really say how it works, how it looks. And it can be tricky. So you basically have to do a lot of research before getting started. And when you start doing that research, you will inevitably see comments saying, oh, no, don't use this one. It's bad. It doesn't work for me. Oh, no, not this one either. And so you're going to get like small pinpricks mm. <laughs> all the way through your search <laughs> until you can't take it anymore and you just abandon. It's, it's, it's way more confusing, basically. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, my, my own experiences were running this on, you know, all, at the time, I think it was, uh, what was I running? I was running an AMD system. We're talking Athlon. AMD Athlon system, so this is a long time ago. And, you know, just having little issues with some hardware not working. Back in the day when hardware used to be much more, this only ever works on Windows. I, I remember having a Lexmark printer, and it was a, a weird one where but none of the brain, the software for the printer, none of the firmware for the printer was on printer. It was all done through the Windows software. So unless you were running Windows, yeah, yeah. you couldn't use that printer. Um, that doesn't tend to happen anymore and printers are still an absolute nightmare in, in whatever operating system you're using but yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is something that i never understood why like, we, we've been doing printers since what the 1600s yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they still don't work reliably it's insane i think it's by design it has to be by design. It has to be by design for, for to sell tech support on the back of it i yeah. I, I mean like hp HP made me laugh. I've been scanning some old photos, and their edge detection is comical 
on on their scanners. It's just like, no, no, that's not the edge of the photo at all. And in what world would a diagonal line dissecting two people in a photo be the edge of the photo? <laughs> no, HP. <laughs> so <laughs> I think a lot has changed, right? And, and, and certainly, you know, once you find a good distribution, you know, and again, I'll rep, we've talked about Pop OS and, you know, there are so many, and I know you're a fan of Fedora, um, I've got many, for, and my friend Josh is a big Fedora fan. And the next time I do a Linux install to play around with, you know, uh, p- probably virtual machine on here, I, I'm going to give Fedora, Fedora another go. But certainly these days, I think the setup process has become a lot easier. It's GUI driven. They, you know, the most most distributions now have whole disk encryption in the installation process. Uh, which is really nice. And just another note, folks, if you're not using whole disk encryption on your machines, please start using whole disk encryption on your machines. You should. Yeah, really should. It's so simple to set up. But, you know, I will say, especially on Mac OS, you know, being a Mac guy, File Vault 2, so easy to set up, so easy to use. And It's and- very smooth, yeah. It's, it's a very easy installation process. Absolutely. But, yeah, Linux has come a long way with that, uh, mostly because they offer a ton of things to make sure that when you install, you know everything is going to work. Uh, you've got that live session. Uh, that's a big plus of Linux distributions. Basically, when you just burn it to a USB drive, you run the full Linux distribution from the USB drive, which means you can test everything. And that's the first uh, piece of advice I generally give to people who are asking if they should move to Linux. Pick the distribution you want. That's that's a hard thing to do. It's hard enough. I have plenty of videos on my channel to try and help people pick, but it's difficult. Once you picked one, try it with the live session. Plug in everything you own, every USB device, every weird port you have, your Ethernet connection, everything. Test everything. Take It's, it's going to take an hour, but test everything just to see if the hardware works. If it works in the live session, it will work once it's installed. And then the installation is just clicking next, next, next five times and being careful with partitioning your system if you want to dual boot or not. But that's true of any single installation for any OS. And then it's super streamlined. You have one checkbox to say automatically install all the updates, all the drivers, all the multimedia codecs for MP3, stuff like that, stuff that is restricted in terms of licensing all the proprietary drivers, if you have an NVIDIA card, you just click one checkbox and it's going to do all of that for you. You type a username, a password, and it, it takes like 15 minutes if you have an SSD. 15 minutes later, the installation is complete. You have a nice little tour of your desktop environment and everything is already up to date. You don't have to spend three hours downloading the latest updates and installing them. They're done right at install if you have an internet connection. So I'd say in many ways, the install process nowadays is simpler and easier then the Windows install process, it's on par with the one in, in a Mac, basically. It's very, very easy. That's one of the nice things about Mac OS is it does do that auto-update. But yeah, no, you've hit the nail on the head. The install process is so much, so simple. Um, and hardware support is impressive. Every time I install it on a machine, I'm thinking, okay, what part of the machine isn't going to work? And very rarely have I had anything. The only time I had frustration was on a ThinkPad. Which is ironic because ThinkPads are sort of the mm. go-to for for Linux users, I think, because of IBM heritage. The fingerprint reader on my particular ThinkPad just wouldn't work because proprietary drivers, which weren't available for yeah. Ubuntu yet. Fingerprint readers are one of the biggest things that 
still do not work well on Linux. I have yet to find uh, a device that has a functional fingerprint reader on Linux. Uh, you External USB ones, you will find drivers for, but the ones manufacturers put inside of the touchpad or on the power button, these will very rarely work because, well, they're closed source and they just never released any firmware. So if anybody wanted to develop a driver, they would have to reverse engineer it, which for a fingerprint reader is probably basically impossible in terms of security. Yeah, and yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that that's the kind of stuff that doesn't run well. I know some very specific professional or niche equipment also doesn't. Uh, a lot of audio-related stuff doesn't have drivers for Linux. Uh, stream decks and stuff like that also have a, a harder way, like the Elgato series of devices generally don't run all that well. But if you're a regular general Joe, like me, you just run a web browser, an office suite, an email client, and, and do a little bit of video editing or anything. You don't have anything crazy, and basically everything is going to work well. I had a fantastic experience with my printer, for example. Oh, wow. I just plugged it in. I set it up using the app. My computer automatically detected it over Wi-Fi. I didn't have to click on anything, and it prints immediately in one button. No driver install, nothing. It's just detected, and it does everything. It, it's it's really great. Yeah. And look, you know, most of the time I've had webcams just work, no drivers. I mean, my uh, the biggest concern I had when I went to uh, try and use the Vocaster for recording miles away is, is the Vocaster going to work? Yes, it does. It's just to change a few little settings to make it show up as more uh, as a pro device rather than a – it picked it up as like a surround sound device because of its multiple mm. outputs. Change the configuration – yeah, picks it up as multi-channel, works. Obviously, Vocaster software, the hub doesn't work, but you don't need the hub for the device to work. It's it's really nice in that regard. Yeah, my webcam also worked automatically. It's a Logitech uh, 4K Brio, I think. Just plugged it in. It was detected. It works in OBS on any browser. I didn't have to install a thing. No drivers, nothing. And that that's that's something that is an advantage and a drawback of Linux, which is... You don't have external drivers you can install. It's very rare. Uh, all the drivers are in the kernel, which we talked about. And so if the, if it's not in the kernel, very rarely will you have an external driver you can install. There are some exceptions, uh, generally for stuff like uh, USB wireless dongles or USB Bluetooth dongles or, uh, or graphics card. For example, NVIDIA has a proprietary driver that you have to install on top of the Linux kernel. It's done super easily, but you still have that extra step to make. It's not like on Windows where you can just download an EXE driver, install it, reboot your computer, and stuff is detected. If it's not in the kernel, you're going to have a hard time adding that driver to the system. But it also means that generally, if you grab a Linux system, you can install it on anything and mostly everything will run, which is not the case on Windows if you don't use the recovery disks. If you, if you use a recovery disk that your manufacturer gave you, it works well. If you just download the, the regular Windows ISO and try to install that on any laptop, I guarantee you're going to have a bad time. I tried it on two different laptops recently. I was going to make a, a comparison between Windows performance and, and Linux performance to point out in, in terms of gaming, in terms of CPU, etc. And I could not install Windows on any of those laptops. Wow. I burned the USB drive using a normal tool that you would find on the internet. It's called Etcher. Uh, I tried a few other ones. 
one of the laptops would not even detect that USB key in the UEFI. Uh, whatever I tried, it just would not show up. And the other one went to the Windows installer, but said it didn't have enough drivers to even work. So it couldn't let me install at all. Wow. So pe people tend to think that Linux does not have great hardware support, but Windows only has it because manufacturers develop drivers for their own devices. It's not Microsoft that does it. Windows in itself does not have good hardware support. It's probably worse than Linux. It's just that when you buy the device, everything is already pre-configured, and so it works really well. Same goes for a Mac, where every driver is already in the system because, well, Apple has a very limited range of devices that they have to support. The end result is still the same. Windows does support a lot more hardware than Linux, but uh, but the difference is still important. But and the difference is only because there are external drivers provided by manufacturers for those Windows systems. No, that, that's a very good point. Yeah, I I have generally found no issues at all connecting anything. Now, you know, let, let's talk a little bit about software because we talked, you know, things that won't run. Full-blown Microsoft Office, the Adobe Creative Suite, but it's fair to say, in most cases, if you want to do something in a generic sense like a word processor, video editing, audio editing, uh, photo work, uh, image manipulation, and uh, just... For those wondering what GIMP stands for, it's the GNU... No, is it normal GNU Image Manipulation Program? It's GNU, Pro yeah. It's GNU Image Manipulation Program. Uh, th th there's a lot of debate uh, whether they should change the name or not because it's kind of der derogatory uh, in, in English. They took a hard stand saying they want to keep the name. There was a fork at some point of the program called Glimpse, but that wasn't maintained because they didn't really have anything to add apart from changing the name. So, yeah, it, it's a stupid name, but the program is... is it's is great. It, it's, it's really good. You know, you've got Audacity for audio production. You've got... Um, if you don't want to go down the DaVinci Resolve route now... DaVinci, I believe, offer a free version, but it's, it's proprietary. It's yeah. still proprietary closed source. So if you are a huge open source advocate, uh, Caden Live is a wonderful video editor from what I've seen. It's the one I used when I started the channel. Uh, I used it for two, two and a half years uh, to, to run that business. Wonderful. It works really well. OBS will run? OBS will run. I use it a lot as well, yeah. Uh, with, with scenes, with plugins, with browser, chat integration, everything you can think of. It has NVENC support if you have an NVIDIA card. Nice. It, it runs exactly like on Windows. There you go. And um, Mac OS. Well, Mac OS oh, don't. Mac OS and OBS, not a good... <laughs> I, I have a... I mean, this, Really? Well, it's more of a hardware encoding because there's no... Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah, it uses uh, H.264 uh, using the CPU. Yeah. I think there is a way to do hardware encoding, certainly the new, and we'll come to the, uh, Apple Silicon. The Apple Silicon stuff, uh, my co-host uh, and my partner, Jay, has a has a M1 Mac Mini, and it runs beautifully in there. But I think this is an older iMac. This is 2017. It's 64 gig of RAM. It's got an 8 gig AMD, what is it, uh, 580. So it's it's got enough grunt. It's just it's only got a four-core 7700k so it's not but yeah most of the run you know you'll be able to access the web versions of all your chat programs uh signal has a linux desktop client uh there are for those of you who insist on using whatsapp there are whatsapp clients for linux why you would want to continue using whatsapp is a whole different question but <laughs> yes <laughs> um but, you but can some do people are stuck <laughs> 
Sometimes it's hard to get your family members to try something else. Oh, God. I know I've been down that road trying to get family members. Um, my, my co-host will be laughing her head off when she hears this episode because we, we've had that struggle recently. Oh, Discord works perfectly on Linux. So Discord works perfectly. All, yeah. all the tools you'll need. You know, if you're worried about, oh, I, I need to use Chrome, you can. There's Chromium and there's full-blown Chrome. There's Firefox. Every browser you can think of, except for Safari, of course, is on uh, is on Linux. Uh, every every Chrome derivative, Edge, Vivaldi, Opera, whatever, they they all have a client there. Yeah, and I think WebKit it's, is WebKit itself available. Yeah, the, the the default browser on GNOME uh, is never shipped by any distribution, but it exists. It's called uh, GNOME Web, and uh, and it uses WebKit. Uh, I used it when I was working as a product owner to test how well a website would work on desktop Safari because it's the exact same rendering engine. It doesn't have the same performance. The, the JavaScript engine isn't as good, but uh, but the rendering issues will be the same. So I just tested everything in GNOME Web and I had the, the same render as, as Safari would. That's really good to know. Now, again, you know, some, I believe there's even a Teams client. I don't know it's very good. Uh, there's certainly yes. Zoom. Yeah, there's Zoom, there's VS Code, uh, whatever you can think of. The only thing that really you will not find are very specific professional applications like the Adobe Suite, unfortunately Microsoft Office, and uh, stuff like AutoCAD, uh, pro- programs like that that are really specific and their market on Windows and macOS isn't that huge already, and so extending it to Linux will not bring enough sales to justify the development time, of course. But yeah, if you want to do 3D modeling, you've got Blender, which runs beautifully as well. There's basically applications for everything you can think of. And in most cases, there are multiple choices. It's not just you have to use this one, even if it's mediocre. You have plenty of ones that you can try and adapt to. It's really rare to find an activity that you cannot find a single piece of software that would do it. Absolutely. And of course, you know, if you're using a browser, you've got other browser extensions. So if you are... Uh, hopefully, by the time this ep- episode comes out, no one is still using LastPass. If you're, if you're, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oops. Uh, the, the, the LastPass episode prompted me, wait, well, not wasting, but spending like five hours going through all my passwords. Uh, I didn't use LastPass. I used uh, the Firefox sync thingy, but it's still stored in the cloud. And so I went over every single password stored there changed it to something more secure every single time, oh, saved it in a self-hosted password manager as well, which will replace a Firefox thing for me. And, and it, it took so long. I feel so sorry for people who used LastPass and and have to do this because, yeah, 10 or 15 years of, of browsing and password save to, to, to change and, oh. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not good. It's so tedious. It's not good. Oh, it's horrible. I, I personally, I, I don't have a problem with cloud-based password management if they have a good security track record. And it's a decision yeah. everyone has to make for themselves. It goes down that, we've talked about of this course. on the show so many times, security and convenience. How far down the road on each side do you want to go? Do you meet somewhere in the middle? I'm a big 1Password advocate. And shout out to the guys at folks at 1Password. They have an actual Linux desktop client now. Yeah. I, well done. Yeah, they, they released it, uh, uh, I think, a year ago or something, uh, and it works really well. It does. And their browser support, same with Bitwarden. Bitwarden, I know, is hugely popular, and I know that's a self-host. They have a self-host option for Bitwarden as well, which is 
Wonderful. But the point I'm trying to make is you'd be surprised. Well, I think we're trying to make is you'd be surprised what you can do on, on a Linux. Go and grab a, a live distribution and try it. Let's talk a little bit uh, be- before we move on to gaming, because definitely something I want to talk about. What about, because there's been work to get Linux running on ARM, particularly on Apple's M2. Now, Linux yeah. does run natively on ARM, but Raspberry Pi, in fact, I have my my Raspberry Pi is literally down there. That is running, it's running Raspbian, which is a Linux distribution for the Pi. And that is, it's more of a server at the moment, but I've used it in desktop mode. But, you can, yes. Yeah. But what what's going on? I mean, what, why would anyone want to run <laughs> Linux on an, on an M2 chip? Uh, well, an Apple Silicon chip, sorry, let me rephrase that. Is it a, a, shy, a shy Linux? Is that the, is that the product name? Uh, I think it's pronounced Azahi, but I'm not certain. Yeah. Uh, it's A-S-A-H-I. Okay. And I mean, so I'd, I'd say Azahi. But Azahi sounds not sure. That sounds right. Yeah, I'll go with that. Azahi. Do you? I mean, do you? Uh, sorry to put you on my spot. Do you, do you know much about what's been going on there? Or uh, I, I followed a lot of the developments because, uh, to be fair, I find Apple Silicon fascinating. Mm. Uh, I, I'm I've been a Mac user for a long while. I still own a really old 2011 cheese grater Mac Pro, which is like sitting right down there. Which is running uh, macOS Monterey, by the way. It's not supposed to, but it can uh, with a patcher. Uh, so, <laughs> so I managed to patch this one, but it was a nightmare to do. I had to replug the old, uh, the old AMD card from 2011 to manage it, which oh, wow. was not a good experience. But that, that, that's not the point. So I, I, I really like what they're doing with their Apple Silicon stuff. It, it proves that ARM is more than just a smartphone architecture. You can do extremely powerful single-core and multi-core performance with awesome battery life, integrated graphics that are really, really good. It basically puts Intel and AMD to shame on every single segment of processor that they have, which is insane. And and I really enjoy seeing that. I don't own uh, an Apple Silicon Mac, but I plan to once Azahi Linux has completed their work. And they've done amazingly well in... I think they started working a year and a half, uh, a year and a half ago, and they they already support fully M1 and M2 with the GPU acceleration, with Wi-Fi, with Bluetooth, keyboard, touchpad, screen, all the resolutions, and they have better battery life <laughs> than on macOS with the, with the GPU support, which is insane. It's incredible, and and they reverse engineered all of that because Apple does not publish any technical specifications about these CPUs. They don't explain how it works. They don't explain how their chip works. Uh, they don't have open public drivers uh, apart from maybe what they have in their kernel, which is partly open sourced. Every time they have a new macOS version, they 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 release an open source uh, version of their kernel. So it's all handiwork like they tested something they noted what it answered uh, what what kind of hexac hex code or, or binary code it put out and they managed from that to write fully functioning drivers which is absolutely insane it's great fast fantastic and again it means that you know once that project is complete well i say complete because no project is ever complete but once it's to a point where it could be considered stable for daily driving use mm. you have the option man if you really don't like mac os and look, that's a valid viewpoint. I understand why people don't. I understand why people don't like Apple. I, I get it. But you then can take advantage of that wonderful, because unfortunately no one else is doing ARM well in the desktop space. Yeah. 
it's it's sad. Well, it's, it's either really low power stuff to try and save on cost for, like, example, the Raspberry Pi or or the Pine sixty four has the PineBook Pro uh, or the Pine Tab, which are using ARM processors, but they're really low end, not super powerful. You're just using them to have something mobile with a big battery. That's it. But they they they, they don't scale up well. Apple is the only one that managed to scale ARM up to a desktop workstation. The Mac Studio seems insane in terms of power. Man, I'm I'm very curious because they've still got the Mac Pro to transition. Yeah. I'm curious what they're going to do. Probably can push that chip even further, like putting two M2 Ultras or something inside of it. <laughs> they, they, they're going to keep clipping those chips together <laughs> to, to build a giant a cluster piece. of something. Yes. It's insane. Yeah, it's incredible. And and I would say it, during the Intel Mac period, there was no reason to buy a Mac if you didn't like Mac OS. Because while Mac OS used that hardware to its maximum, the devices were thermally limited and not that interesting in terms of price to performance uh, ratio compared to a regular PC. Mm. Nowadays, if you have Linux, if you have Asahi Linux fully stable, which is not the case yet, uh, they have support for basically every component, but it's still experimental. It's not been merged into the main Linux kernel, so you do have to use Azahi specifically right. to run on a, on an M1 or M2 Mac. You cannot just pick any distribution you want. Uh, at some point, that won't be the case. You will be able to run Ubuntu or Fedora or Pop! OS on those devices. And at that point, I don't think there will be a reason not to buy a Mac and run Linux on it, because... No one else comes close in terms of performance to battery life ratio and in terms of build quality. The prices are now not that insane compared to what you're getting. Uh, Intel laptops f- from Apple were crazy, but nowadays they're really good in terms of of, uh, of, of price to performance. So yeah, I, I'm really excited about what they're doing there. It's uh, it's going to be great, and probably in a few years I will own uh, an Apple laptop that runs Linux. Awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing those videos. Now then, our, fi- our final two little bits. Gaming. So we did an episode recently all about the Steam Deck, but we focused on the hardware of the Steam Deck. And we did touch a little bit on Proton and on what the Steam Deck has done for gaming. But as a, you know, as a Linux, I'm going to say as a Linux aficionado and someone who does Linux content, I'd love to get your take on what, what you think Valve have brought and have Valve done good for Linux gaming? They've done insanely good. Yeah. They, basically, I, I, I used Linux before Proton, which is the compatibility layer that runs those games. I, I, I ran, I tried gaming on Linux before that, and it was virtually impossible. Uh, Wine was okay for desktop programs, for running Windows programs, but for games, it just didn't work well because they had to re-implement DirectX entirely by themselves. They had nothing else to plug it into. So they had to turn DirectX into OpenGL, which was very limited in terms of of graphics API. And so most things didn't run, or when they did, the performance was basically half of what you would get uh, on on Windows. It It was not an emulator, but the performance was comparable to emulating something. With Proton, what they did was basically take Wine, but said, your graphics implementation is not great, we're going to use another graphics implementation, which takes DirectX calls and translates them into Vulkan, which is another graphics API, which is way more modern, 
way closer to DirectX than OpenGL ever was, which means that translating the calls is way easier. And they didn't invent any of this technology, like Wine existed before Valve was interested, uh, DXVK, which is the translation layer that that, that makes the, the DirectX calls into Vulkan calls work, was also a thing before uh, Valve uh, uh, hopped on the scene. But they managed to combine that and add their own contributions to it. They, they, they employ people that work and develop uh, those things specifically. And they managed to package it inside of Steam, which is where you want it. Because if you didn't have that, you would have to run the Windows version of Steam with Proton. And then you would only have one configuration set for all your games. Integrating Proton into Steam means you can change configuration on a per-game basis, which means that each game has a chance to run as well as it can, and Valve can control that. They can say, this version of Proton is better for this game because it's older, but this newer one, you want the very latest Proton release, and so everything will run using the latest technology and will work better. So they've done something incredible, and it's really made, I think it's 65% of the top 1,000 Steam games are now fully playable in, in great conditions uh, on Linux. Uh, you just have to look, yeah, the Steam Deck, 7,000 titles uh, pl fully playable on that little device. And on Linux, on, on a basic Linux computer, it's more because Valve restricts the number of games based on whether they're usable on a handheld. But on a computer, you don't have those restrictions. And that's just for Steam games uh, because... Since they introduced that, a lot of other people were like, yeah, but what about uh, our Ubisoft titles or, or EA titles or, or Epic Games? And so there were a ton of new unofficial third-party clients launched to handle these, which work just as well now. You've got the same amount of options and support, which means that unless your game implements some kind of very specific anti-cheat feature uh, for online play, it will run There's all every single chance that it will run. Uh, the, the big problem is still anti-cheat. Companies can support Linux using anti-cheat, but it's a conscious decision they have to make. It's extremely easy to support from what I've read. You just include a file, if it's a Epic anti-cheat, uh, uh, easy anti-cheat from Epic, or if it's um, Battle Eye, you just have to include one file which is the library to run that thing in the game files and tick a box in your online uh, dashboard for your anti-cheat project. That's about it. From what I've heard for most games, that's it. So that's not really an excuse not to do it, but some developers just refuse to do it. Like, for example, Bungie with Destiny 2. They have said repeatedly that no, they will not support either the Steam Deck or Linux, even though they use easy anti-cheat and a ton of other games that do have added that support in a matter of days. It depends on the developer. And so this means that it's still not fully compatible, still not fully perfect. And yes, if you want to game with every single game that releases on day one, Windows is still a better choice than Linux uh, for gaming. But if you game more casually, you buy games I don't know, a week, a month, two months after they released, or you play your older series of titles, chances are you can use Linux as well. Absolutely. You know, look, you know, we're going to be, you know, at the time we record this, me and Jay are getting ready to start streaming. Look, we intentionally bought Steam Decks for streaming, and we're making a conscious choice that unless it is Steam Deck compatible, it's not going to feature in our content. One of the things I love so much about that compatibility and the fact that, it is, you know, look, I used my, one of the reasons I bought a Pi was for RetroPie, the emulation project. Well, I can now do that on the Steam Deck. 
And you made a really good point. Valve's verification is exactly as you said. It's all about the handheld mode. But if you, and I do, I dot mine to a monitor, keyboard and mouse. That ups the compatibility for me massively. And it is fantastic. Yes, because even if uh, uh, Valve says this game is only playable on the Steam Deck because some menu items are not optimized, etc., blah, blah, plug it on the dock, play it on a, on a display with a keyboard and mouse, and that, that compatibility just is improved instantly yeah. because you don't care that you only have sticks. Now you have a mouse and it works. Absolutely. And the controller compatibility, look, you know, I my controller of choice for the yeah. Steam Deck, PlayStation 5 controller. Everything on this works. Touchpad works. Gyro works. Rumble works. That's incredible. Yeah. My, my, my Steam Deck is constantly plugged in into a dock into my 4K TV and I play games with an Xbox One controller and everything works instantly. There's no input delay. Well, not more than you would have on an Xbox console. And the Steam Deck is able to upscale very, very well to a 4K TV with very little performance degradation. Absolutely. It's still a handheld. Most games I will play at 40 FPS and not at 60. But honestly, compared to the Xbox One I own, it's probably a better experience. (laughs) You're not limited to 30 FPS. You can go up to 40 or 60 if you're willing to lower the details. It's, It's a great experience. And it's all based on Linux. And it's insane that most people will never know. That it's based on Linux. Now, just remind me, because I, and it's completely gone out of my head. It is SteamOS used to, when it was originally, it was originally Ubuntu based. It's now, oh, no. it's Arch based. That's right. It's Arch Linux based. Yeah. It's, it's using Arch Linux as a base, but it's, yeah, it's very loosely Arch based because Arch is a distribution that is known for being super bleeding edge. Basically, every time there's a new release of anything, you get it instantly. You can update to it, but if it breaks something, it's on you. You want the latest versions, but you have to be able to handle breakage and, and compatibility and looking at patch notes every time there's a new update to check if something could break. What what's Valve did was uh, streamline this a little bit, which is they ship system-based images instead of just saying, there's an update, here it is. They compile all these updates into a big system image once they feel it's ready. Mm-hmm. And they release that system image. And if it doesn't work, basically it just will boot the previous system image that did work. And if it works well, it's going to keep this one. And when there's a new update, they're going to remove the old one that that is now useless and add on top. So they always have basically two partitions with two system images. And they will decide on which one to boot, whether something works or not. So it's, it's not really the same philosophy as Arch Linux. But I think they used it because it's super modular, that you can do what you want with it. That's awesome. Now that before we wrap up, I have a little game I want to play with you, my friend. Um, and we're gonna cut. I'm gonna try and translate this into French. If I get this wrong, do uh, do forgive me. In fact, I'm not because I'm gonna get it wrong. Uh, I'm, I'll get you to do it. Uh, so we did when we did the <laughs> French is a very difficult. Thing. Do you know I took I took GCSE French. I will admit for the first time on this on this podcast, my my GCSE grade for French, I got a D. That says how bad my French <laughs> it's is. It's very, very difficult, especially for, for English speakers, because it, it doesn't share anything in terms of construction, grammar. It's, yeah, it's it's Latin-based. English is not, so. No, ab- absolutely. Look, you know, I, I love French as a language, and I, <laughs> I'll tell the story, because <laughs> you'll laugh. I, so, quickly, 
uh, as I said, we used to, you know, uh, I said before pre-shop, we used to go on holiday to France. You know, being an English family, you know, we had a touring caravan. Uh, we went on for a holiday to France, but we also did like, you know, tent trips. And I had, I was probably about nine at the time, and you could go and buy uh, f- French fries, literally French, you know, French chips, as we call them. And I worked really hard to learn how to order do fit simply. Simple French, very simple French. Got in the queue to go and order them. Got to the front and said, uh, Bonjour, madame. Do fit silver play. And she turned around and she says, What, you want two chips, love? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you learned how to say it. <laughs> I could tell you so many more stories. Let me just say this. Year, year eight, so like 13, 13, yeah, 12, 13 year old kids going on a school trip to France who haven't learned French, trying to order uh, from ours cheese and somehow pointing at the butter instead, the lovely, very patient French uh, fromagerie worker saying, no, 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 monsieur, beurre, beurre. My friend, I kid you not, responds, yeah, it is a bit cold out today, isn't it? <laughs> Just, anyway, the, the game we're going to play, and Matt, get you to translate this message, Desert Island, the Linux distribution. The concept being, you know, I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if you have a, a version of this in France, like Desert Island discs, where you have to choose uh, usually five, but in this case, we'll do one thing to take with you to a desert island. So if you were only allowed to take one Linux distribution to a desert island, forget the fact that you'd have, we'd have to figure out how to get you a Linux running machine and power. Ignore all of that. If you could only choose one one di- Linux distribution at this moment in time to take with you, what would it be? And, uh, and a brief reason why. It would be Fedora. It's the Linux distribution I fell in love with. I think uh, it's been eight months, one year, maybe a year and a half uh, I've never stayed that long with a single Linux distribution uh, in my whole life, <laughs> and uh, it's it's just fantastic. It's it's very well integrated. It's speedy. It uses GNOME, which is for now my favorite desktop environment, especially on laptops, because it implements smooth touchpad gestures that will make macOS sweat. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> they are amazingly well done uh, to 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 just. You just move three fingers to get into your overview. You just move three, three fingers down to get out. Three fingers swipe to, to change desktop environments. It's, it's extremely, extremely well done. And the distribution is just flawless. It, it updates everything in one click. You reboot, everything is done. Everything works out of the box. I, I don't encounter any problem at all on, on this distribution. And it's the first one that I had where I didn't have to use just a little tiny bit of elbow grease to get one of my arcane peripherals to work. Uh, I have like really weird USB dongles for Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and stuff like that that never works well on any Linux distro, but I, I know how to make them work. On Fedora, I didn't have to. Everything worked out of the box. I was actually completely shelved. I was like, how? <laughs> how do they do it? They use the same base, but it's it works better. So I would say Fedora, and, and especially on laptops, it's uh, it's really really good. It has battery tweaks and optimizations out of the box, and uh, it's yeah, it's smooth, it's nice, it looks good, it's easy to install, it's great, awesome. And that has a heritage from Red Hat, of course. It was forked from, well, it was it was a Red Hat project at one point, I believe. Hence Fedora. It is, yeah, it it is a Red Hat project. A Red Hat makes a Red Hat Enterprise Linux, which is their 
server and desktop operating system that they mostly sell to, to companies, of course. And, and based off of that, they have Fedora, which is a, a way for Red Hat to test the waters, I'd say. Uh, they can release stuff that is a little bit newer than on Red Hat Enterprise Linux. And so they get a large pool of people testing it, working on it, contributing. And once it's stable enough and well-packaged, they will bring those improvements to, to RHEL and, uh, and things will work well. Awesome. Well, Nick, thank you so much for your time today. I recognize we've run a little bit over an hour, but it's been so great to dive into this stuff. Where can people find out more about your content? Where can they find you? Uh, well, mostly on YouTube. Uh, the channel is called The Linux Experiment. Uh, even though I'm French, every video is in English, so you can still listen to them and you don't have to learn French to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, and uh, and you can also find me on Mastodon at The Linux EXP. Uh, I still have a Twitter account, but I rarely use or interact uh, with it. Uh, it's the same handle. And if you prefer using open source services, you have uh, PeerTube and Odyssey. The name of the channel is the same, The Linux X Experiment or The Linux EXP. Awesome. Nick, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, roll the outro. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cross Wires. We hope you've enjoyed our discussion and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So please drop us a note over to podcast at crosswires.net. You can also drop us a comment on the post or if you're a GoodPod user, why not start a discussion there too? You can also join our new Discord server at crosswires.net forward slash Discord. We've got forum channels for each episode and we'd love you to join the discussion there. You can also follow us on Mastodon at crosswires at masthead.social. And of course, you can find the show in all the good podcast apps and all the really bad ones too. If you'd like to check out more of our content, head on over to crosswires.net slash YouTube for all our videos and keep an eye on our Twitch channel at crosswires.net slash live for our upcoming streams. If you like what we've heard, please do drop a review in your podcast directory of choice. It really does help spread the word about the show. And of course, if you can spare even the smallest amount of financial support, we'd be incredibly grateful. You can support us at ko-fi.com slash crosswires. That is ko-fi.com slash crosswires. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.